mustache tails. Yeah! Hello, it's Jay Chandrasekhar and... Oh, Hayes MacArthur. <laughs> I sprung that on you. Usually you I just say it's Jay Chandrasekhar and Hayes MacArthur, but I That's felt right. like I was hogging the limelight. But anyway, we're doing a podcast of mustache tails today, and it's just me and Hayes. We could have gotten a guest, by the way. We just decided to get, you know, introduce you to ourselves a little more so that you're a little more, you know, excited when you interview somebody else. Regardless, it's just going to be us today. So, Hayes, I think you got the story today. Yeah, I got the story. I remember, I'm sorry, I just went dark for a second. I'm I'm caught back up now. Did we talk about, we did this once before where it was just you and I, which is actually the origin of why we decided to start recording these because it was you and I from the beginning (laughs) shooting the shit. (laughs) That's right. And often it was in bars and often it was after joints. Uh, That's right. And often it was just such hilarity and fun that we thought, we got to get the get America in on this. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, in keeping with the premise of the show, we'd like to start with a story and go from there. And we were talking before the show about what the story would be. And um, so, I'll take this one. And uh my story today is, uh, you know how you always tell your kids like one, like if you're doing, would you just want one big idea to get through to them, right? We tell them a million things yeah. through the course of their lives and how to micromanage situations, big situations, little situations. But one thing that uh, my parents told me growing up was one moment can change your whole life. That's That's something that stuck with me. Um, just remember, Hayes, it, like one little moment, your whole life can change. And so I kind of always had that in the back of my head. So my story today is about a, a moment that I guess changed a trajectory in, in my life. Um, and, you know, I will say before I tell the story that even knowing the lesson doesn't matter. You still are going to have the one moment. It could be, <laughs> it could be anything, but it, the thing, it, it can change in an instant. So I got kicked out of college uh, my junior year. Bowdoin. For, at, yeah, up in Maine, small uh, liberal arts school, Bowdoin. Um, great school, love the school, have so many fond memories of it, except for this one insta- instance where I um, ended up getting kicked out for, I got into a fight uh, at a party and it was off campus. Um, and you know, we had Ryan Leaf on the show uh, a couple months ago and Ryan Leaf talked about a moment that kind of changed his life. Well, he had many in his arc, but one of them was when he was uh, retiring from football and he was kind of down on his luck. He went to a fight in Vegas and someone gave him a pain pill Yeah, and he decided to take, I mean, it's like Alice in Wonderland shit. Like he took the pill. Right after the whole audience booed him. The whole, yeah, that's right. The whole audience booed him and uh, he took this pill and he didn't feel anything. I, th- I just was tripping on that when I thought of a moment. But the reason that this moment kind of ended up having like a lot of uh, repercussions was I got in this fight. I was supposed to um, go uh, study abroad my junior uh, spring and that changed and I ended up going out to LA and getting into the entertainment business and becoming an actor and working in comedy and now sitting here talking to you. And that that happened when I was like 20 years old. I got in this fight and the story behind the fight was 
I, uh, it was a Saturday night. I was at a very small school. There weren't like a lot of bars or clubs. Everything happened in close quarters. Um, and this was a house that a bunch of my friends had lived in who were older than me. And it was literally called the crack house because <laughs> it looked like a crack house. Uh -huh. I mean, there weren't any hard drugs happening at this place, but it was called the crack house. And I would say that the equivalent of having the entire campus packed into this house would be like putting, you know, uh, let's say 30% of the campus is there. So that's like 500 people in like a four bedroom house. And there was a basement to this house that when you walked into the basement was like a one bedroom apartment with hundreds of people there. And I walked into this basement party one night. And it was like, I mean, just wall to wall, like people, like if you were holding a cup, you had to have it in your, like next to your chest because you, you had no arm space, nothing. And so I will say that there are uh, Rashomon, many points to this story. I can't speak for the individual that I got into the altercation with, but I can tell you pretty clearly, and my story has been the same for decades, of what I was interpreting in this moment. Were you so, a fighter? I was, no, I had been in like maybe one fight prior okay. to that. Okay. But I was running with a group of fighters, like a, a bunch of like kind of tough Boston guys. Football players. That it, football players. And it seemed like everywhere we went, there would be a, a, a fight. Um, and, and I was always like on the outskirts of it, either making jokes or trying to break it up. But I was around a lot of this. So it might have been, I guess, in retrospect, normalized yeah. behavior to yeah. just to, to fight like this when you yeah. drink. So I walk into the basement of this party. It's shoulder to shoulder. Uh, the ceiling is about, you know, three feet tall. It's like, I think the ceiling and being John Malkovich was taller in that tiny room he wanted to. It was that kind of pressurized situation. You know what they say, contents under pressure no, will no. explode. <laughs> so I'm down there and I'm standing next to uh, one of my buddy's girlfriends and she has a uh, red solo cup in her hand and I'm down there and we're talking and all of a sudden there's this kind of violent push and it knocks her over to the ground and she falls in this tightly populated space. And I saw red. Uh, I picked her up and I turned and I grabbed the guy who had knocked her over and I kind of grabbed him by his uh, flannel shirt lapels and I sized him up and, you know, he, it was like a little bit of a smirk or like a, what are you going to do or kind of a situation. And I, you know, we just started yapping at each other and then I threw some punches. He threw some punches. We were pulled apart. And that was it in my mind. That's the entire thing lasted maybe 30 seconds, I guess. Uh, we kind of got broken up. The party didn't get broken up. It was a skirmish. You know, people in, yeah. in my perception, people go, if you're playing a hockey game, you go sit in the penalty box for two minutes after something like right. this. So I stayed out that night, um, you know, with my friends, carried on. And the no next blood. morning I got... Uh, no blood, but I came to realize that the, the person that I was in the fight with had a huge black eye, like almost like if you went into hair and makeup and were like, give me a black eye because I had beers with the guy two days later 
as a result of this, you know, uh, what I'll get into yeah. the disciplinary action and everything. When I found it out, it was becoming a big deal. I called the guy. I said, "Hey, we got to talk about this." So, yeah. and that's when I looked at him. I said, "Wow, oh, he's got a big black eye." So, <laughs> sitting across the table with him. Too. So I left the party that night. I got a call from my football coach the next morning, like really early. And this is like when you know you had to call like the, the house phone or whatever, so you have someone wake and you're you the up. Quarterback. I'm the quarterback of the football team and we're in the middle of the season or no, we're like towards the end of the season. Yep. Uh, and this was after uh, a game, um, uh, a very tightly contested loss, which, you know, there's probably a lot of things that contributed to this part of my life with uh -huh. the, it was like, you know, probably touch of anger, <laughs> some frustration, then mixing some alcohol and, you know, there you've got it. Cause you started the spot. Uh, I started the fight. Well, I addressed the situation that I witnessed yeah. in my mind. Like if I knock over a girl at a party accidentally, I am like, oh my God, is everyone okay? Right. He didn't you know, that. I'm just in a different, no. Um, so I, uh, get in this thing, I get the call from my coach. He's like, what, what the, he's like, what happened last night? I'm like, what? Like, how is, why is my coach asking me what happened last? And he's like, did you get into a fight? And I told him pretty much the same story that I told you. As my dad says, uh, always tell the truth because that way you only have one story to remember. So that was my- Great advice. <laughs> Great advice. <laughs> Great advice, right? <laughs> so I, and he says, okay, uh, you're going to need to write that down. And I'm like, what? I, I got to write it down. He's like, write it down and then come into the football offices. So I'm like, I ah, shower, kind of put down my story. And there was another assistant football coach at the time at Bowdoin who uh, was, uh, ended up becoming an FBI agent. He was studying law before he went into the FBI. It was, we always referred to him as agent, agent pre-step. You know, it was like, that was his thing. Cause we knew he was going to, so he sits me down. He's like, what's the story? And now I'm like, feel like I'm being prepped for something, which I was. And he's just studying law at the time. He's studying law. Um, <laughs> so the no, no, he had gotten just, out. Of, he, oh, okay. No, 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 no. He he had gotten out of Michigan Law School. Oh, okay. Where he was an assistant at the Michigan uh, football program, and Got he it. was like coaching at Bowdoin as he waited to get into the FBI. And that's how I thought. So when he's prepping me, I'm now feeling there's some something bigger is going on. Yeah. And what I what I soon realized was um, the the, the the rumors and the 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 way the fight was conveyed around this small school did not make me look like a sane or nonviolent person. Well, that so much so that I got a call a couple of days later from a friend of mine from high school who was at another college, and an old buddy called me and he said, "Hey." You hit some kid with a pool stick at a party? <laughs> and I was like, what? No, I didn't hit with a pool stick. <laughs> so, you know, between the interrogation of the, <laughs> the soon-to-be FBI agent and then, like, high school buddies of mine calling, thinking that I, you know, curb-stomped a kid, 
I was like, wow, I'm, this is, this is getting serious. So I ended up, um, what happened after that? I ended up going in and having, uh, one of those like school hearings. Um, it's almost like at the end of Sen of a Woman. Uh, remember when Philip Seymour Hoffman and, and they're, they're in front of the whole school and they're getting asked questions, like they're being adjudicated. I haven't seen it. That it's film. like a legal trial. It's a great scene. Is um, it a great movie? It's Sen of a Woman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Chris O'Donnell and he has Pacino, to, he's right? in front of this and Pacino. Yeah. And the, the court case in that uh, is, did, did Chris O'Donnell see Philip Seymour Hoffman Hayes, uh, a faculty member? And Chris O'Donnell says he couldn't see it. Um, and he did see it. He knows who did it. So the administrator put him on the hot seat to essentially sell out his friends. And even though he hated these guys, Chris O'Donnell didn't, doesn't sell him out. And so he gets kicked out of school, and that's when Pacino gets up and gives the speech. He didn't. He didn't rat. You know, if I was the man, if I was the man I was thirty years ago, I'd take a flamethrower. Okay, so I was in one of those kind is that, of is that intense where that, academic. It, it, that's where the invitation comes from. Hua. <laughs> yes. I've never seen it, but I've heard everybody invitate him. When I heard the invitation, I'm like, I'm not seeing it. That is the movie that made. I don't think Pacino ever left that character. He kind of kept a little of that. I love he Pacino. Kind of kept a little of that through his whole day. I love Pacino. So I, I was really in a. Oh, he's the, the yeah. goat. Yeah. Uh, so I was in a setting like that, but without a public audience. I was in a. Uh, a it was a, like a courtroom um, with a like probably six or seven other students and then a couple of deans and i had to call uh witnesses to my defense as i went into this i was like i had to get a character witness did you have a i lawyer? had to get two not yet okay not at this phase not a student lawyer uh, <laughs> like a kid with a bow tie <laughs> <laughs> Like I just grabbed the biggest nerd on campus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can you help me out, man? <laughs> no, I had to get um a character witness who ended up being Howard Vandersee. And then uh two uh friends who were there at the at the party and they had to write statements and then they would go in and give the eyewitness accounts in this kind of what do they call it? A mock trial or a canary court. And, and then I realized when I looked at the hearing and I went in there, this was probably like a week later when I was in front of the dean, that the list of, uh, the list of quote unquote witnesses that I was bringing to the table, I had like two guys and the list of people who were like, quote unquote, testifying against me were like 15 people who were at the party. And I was like, I feel like I'm, I'm already toast, you know, like, so I asked my two buddies who were there, I'm like, hey, can you write down an eyewitness account of what you saw? And I didn't ask the smartest guys in, in the school to write this. They were just like, kind of like, one of them was a great hockey player, total meathead. He gave like a two sentence, like, I was at the party and I saw an altercation and, you know, he did like a really quick dissertation. Like, he's not somebody to advocate for you. And then so, and then another guy who um, 
had a uh, previous uh, history of problems with the school anyway, so they weren't going to listen to him. Yeah, the uh, witness the one was, your in, witness was tainted. <laughs> our witnesses were like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like bringing up like other members of the Gambino tri cr uh, crime family to testify for people in the Gambino crime family. <laughs> I didn't say nothing. <laughs> hey, I, that's right. <laughs> So anyway, I get this heavy-handed uh, sentence handed down to me, which was essentially like, you're out of here, kid. Uh, you're kicked out of school. For one fight? For, for one fight. Hey. And I was doing all right. Like, I was getting great grades. You know, I was doing other Off stuff. Off campus? Off campus. I so I uh, was crushed right i was like what well, i'm kicked out of school and this is like november of your junior year so you already pay the tuition right yeah like in in so then it becomes a little bit of a, a legal thing like wait you're gonna kick me out now i'm not gonna get credit for this year i've already paid you you know that i had like you know, like some breach of contract issues going on with the except with all the other stuff that goes on when you're a you know, a young guy too that you're dealing with. But I wasn't thinking of that at that point. I was just thinking about how it felt to be prejudged uh, or judged um, by a bunch of things that you're not in control of, right? So I had some issues which made this story feel like I was a villain before people even knew what happened. Like yeah. I was... You know, this kid who is uh, a football player, a meathead, uh, entitled, all of these different kind of outside perceptions that I would never been forced to look in the mirror and realize before. You know, that came years later, that perspective. But I mean, that was like, whoa, how could people think that I'm this monster? So anyway, as a result of this, I... Uh, Ended up, um, I was doing a play at the same time um, this semester. What play? As I was in football. It was uh, Oleana, right. David Mamet and David uh, play. And, I will inter interrupt one thing. When yeah. Super Troopers 2, the film you were in with us, obviously, when David, they, they uh, there's a quote from David Mamet before the movie had come out. And he goes, I can't believe they're making a Super Troopers 2 because how do you improve on perfection? David Mamet. <laughs> I don't know what he thought. I don't know what if he ever saw it. But I mean, Wait, uh, he's, that, he said that about the movie? He said that about the first movie. That's amazing. I, I thought it was uh, like some axiom that you applied to it. Like, oh, he said it the, about the, the actual quote movie. from David Mamet. I was like, we made it. <laughs> that's, that's so dope. And that's the only review that counts, you know? Right. Like, it's the best. Um, so, I was doing this play and uh, so now I'm getting kicked out. We still got like one or two football games left. Uh, I now have to appeal this decision and I sit down with the dean like one-on-one -on -one, and I'm like, he's like, you're a fucking monster. And by, by the way, like I had a lot of football injuries. Like my hand was like super swollen. Yeah. Because I got a, a helmet in the back of my palm. Yeah. So I had to look. I, I, this is from the football game, dude. Like, it looked like I was, you know, <laughs> just, just MMA fighter. Mm -hmm. 
And um, <laughs> he said, do you know, I, so it ended up that I could, uh, I had to leave campus unless I was in class or unless I was in play rehearsal and I could come back. Where were we going uh, to This was in the, in, exactly. I had to go, I had to drive down to Southern Maine and stay at a, a friend's parent's house um, and then drive into classes. This is why it was being like adjudicated or, or um, figured out because they couldn't, because of the appeal, they couldn't not give me the credit. So I came back, I played in, played in the games and then I got to do this uh, play rehearsals and then, and then put on the, on the play. It was just a really confusing time. Um, and then it ended up that that was the decision that I made because I sat down with the dean and he said, you should look at this as a moment for you to uh, like kind of reassess your track or your life, like do something that you wouldn't normally have done. I know you were going to go study your major over, over there next semester, but it gets back to the thing where your parents tell you one moment can change your whole life. And, and I was like, I don't, want to do anything else other than what i've been doing yeah yeah <laughs> he goes well what are you into i'm like fucking football <laughs> drinking <laughs> he's like uh well you're doing a play and i go yeah i'm doing a play and he goes well, why don't you go study theater outside of our theater program go go somewhere and so, so this, it ended up i ended at up at this point you were kicked out i was kicked out yeah so he was just was trying to be a good guy trying to say hey do something. Look at this as yeah, a moment. Like being, that's right. That's right. He was, um, I mean, he had, I, I, he had severely, I feel like done me wrong in judging me and, um, you know, not really taking in my account of the story. He just had wrote me off as a total fucking idiot. Um, but then that having been said, he was also like, do something that you wouldn't normally do, like with that perspective that like this is your time in your life when you can take those chances. Were you under any kind of probation when this thing happened? No. This is a one strike what? and you're out there thing? It was a one strike thing. Yeah. God, I mean, and the I had number been, of fights I, that I had happened been run, I, I, Oh, I know. And then when I went, to, I ended up going to UCLA and, and studying um, – acting and then finish getting some credits at UCLA and the amount of fights I saw at UCLA outside of like uh Mahoney's and these play like there'd be people like curb stomping and yeah. outside of hot dog stands like yeah. huge fights and the yeah. school never heard about it but I was like a like a very small 1800 place, students so, or something there yeah it's like a couple thousand kids yeah um so I ended up uh yeah that's how I ended up going out to LA and um, I, I was out there and didn't know one person, um, ended up meeting friends at UCLA, taking, uh, studying with um, some teachers out there and uh, met a girl a as it goes. And then I told the girl that I was going to go back to finish my senior year at, in Maine in, in college. Um, no, I didn't say Maine. I said Portland. And um, she was Russian, and she uh, said, "Like you going for what? Like two months, three months?" I'm like, "Well, it's going to be like you know eight months, and then I'll come back here afterwards." She and that Polish? story kind of. She was Russian. Okay, Russian girl. Mm -hmm. Um, actually, from the 
I guess like technically, yeah, Moscow. And she was like 19. And um, she ended up coming to visit me my senior year in school and had never been. It was, that's a whole, that's a different story what, for a mustache. Where were you too. in school? Uh, when she came to visit me when I went back to, when I got back to Bowdoin. But the, the, I'll, okay. I'll put a pin in the story because the point of it, the whole thing was, and I say this to my kids, that one moment can change your whole whole life. But what my parents didn't tell me and what I'll add an addendum to it when I talk to my kids is you don't know when that moment's going to happen. <laughs> and you're never going to know. <laughs> it's it's incredible. I mean, it reminds me, first of all, there were so many fights at Colgate that, I mean, you know, like, and, and by the way, the football players, it's an interesting window into what ha what happened to you because the way the rest of us look at football players is is that they're untouchable. Is that because of the football, they get a secret little special situation and the particular quarterback, like they're never gonna get never, never, nothing bad. Now, the football fraternity used to come down to my fraternity beta, uh, and they and they would come there because they were such rockheads that the girls wouldn't go to their house. So the only place to go where the girls were were our and so they'd come down there and there'd be like 12 of them and there'd be like 40 of us down there, you know, whatever. And they would be flirting with the girls and there were these big monsters. And we were like, okay, you can hang, have a little beer, whatever. Inevitably, one of them would do something that was just unforgivable. And then it would start a little <laughs> fight and then it would be three of us on one of theirs fucking guys. And we somehow like the other 40 guys would run down from upstairs and go, we just throw them all out and then you know and that was it <laughs> but they kept doing it right you're like god how many times are we gonna do this fucking fight uh but we you know it's it, there's a perception about football players that is that that they uh that they fight because they can't control their emotions outside well it's also just like some guys not all guys but when you're you know 17 through like 28 i mean there's a reason why the military takes people at a certain age range you're yeah. just wired yeah to 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 be confrontational and yeah. and fight and you're fighting i don't even know it's a testosterone thing or, or yeah. a socialization thing I, it's just the desire it everywhere the desire to be a hero um is that where you think it springs from well you know like i've been a part of you was like wanted to impress your friend's girlfriend yeah i think the feeling of righteousness and then being able to do anything you can you're just you're like literally ready to go to war at the yeah. drop of a hat you're like give me a give me a fucking reason <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I gotta put this energy somewhere that's right <laughs> give me a fucking reason that's like right. what's gonna piss me off in this moment is right. it because you know this happened or this happened right yeah, but the perception so, thing is, you know, the, it, it, uh, I'll, I'll tell the story, which is that, uh, you know, there's a there's a saying, perception is reality, right? And like that sounds like what happened to you is that like you first of all, I, obviously, I don't know what you did, but you did you gave a black eye. That didn't help. Uh, there were uh, 500 witnesses that didn't help. Uh, you were right. on a football team. You're tall, white, and you know privilege yeah and i was hanging and help. i was hanging 
And I was hanging with, you know, guys who are still like my close friends, but it was, it was like a lot of belligerent behavior was, yeah. was going on. Yeah. And even though like, I, this is at a school too, where the football team, like the guys who played on my offensive line got like their doctorates in English, you sure. know, they're teaching. They weren't like- Right, they but like in that ecosystem, in that ecosystem, yes. they were the big, strong meatheads. That's right. And uh, yeah, loved identifying that way. Yeah. Like the more that you lay down into being dumber and stupider and more aggressive, the more you're rewarded from right. your immediate peer group is the more awesome it is in that right. paradigm. And like, I get it. It's like, I get it. I yeah. get it. <laughs> we so, got like, do you, do you think there's a way you can't really break that cycle when I mean, you got like teenager, like you see, how do you coach that out of like aggressive, well, like I, athletic I, boys? I think that uh, to some degree, you don't want to. Well, well I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge football fan and a huge hockey fan. All those yeah. guys who used to come down to our fraternity and, and throw us around, I, I'm now fans of them. Uh, and but the reality is is, is uh, you don't want to, but you want to discourage random cheap shot fights and random fights. Right. And they're not a cheap shot. I'm not saying it was a cheap shot, but you know what I mean. Like I think that guns, to some degree, have taken the fun out of fighting because anything can happen now, yeah. right? I mean, there's so much like somebody can run back at a gun and then good god. Um, so I, maybe there's fewer fights. I would think. Uh, I mean, maybe. He, uh, I think so. Also, yeah. I mean, weapons and, and the consequences, I think, are much higher now. We're a good old-fashioned throwdown at a Garth Brooks concert or a yeah. bar in Boston, a last call. It just can get so much ugly. Plus, I think everyone studies MMA now, too. <laughs> so, right. you could be putting a pretzel. Right. You know who you're messing I with. Know. Like, I know. I, I, uh, I, I think you just tell kids to use their... You tell young men who are wired that way to use their powers for good. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't be a fucking idiot. Yeah. But it's, it's, hardwired. it's hardwired into us. Uh, and when you add alcohol... Yeah. You know, it's exciting. It's like, it's particularly if you win. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah, my friend Steve Houck, uh, uh used to, I mean, you know, he, he was Boston guy, drank a lot. He was, you know, he's he's not a super tall guy. He's probably 5'9", you know, whatever. Great golfer, great guy. But, you know, when he drinks some things, he would, uh, he got into a lot of fights uh, in, in uh, at Denison and, and beyond. And he al he always is like uh, you know in my my all time record is uh, five and eleven, <laughs> and he's like he goes I mostly lose. <laughs> <laughs> but he he engaged in so many fights when well, he was younger funny, that he took even the losses as wins. Yeah, he's a funny drunk, uh, uh, and so he he would keep picking the fights and he would lose the fights, and it was so funny to hear. It, it's yeah, so well, when you're a fighter like that at that age, it's the old expression like to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Maybe. So every ex every situation you enter, you're just like, 
Yeah, this is, I got to get in a fight. This is, yeah. Something's going to happen that's going to f- turn me on. Like, this You're is crazy. Right. I, you know, I almost got kicked out of uh, high school uh, as well over the exact words perception is reality. Like, you know, my junior year at prep school at Lake Forest Academy, uh, this guy, you know, we were, we were, we had, we were smoking weed and whatever. We were getting into it. We were, we were drinking a lot. We were kind of like, there were a couple of like hard drinking crews and, and we were, we were what? Uh, and we were in the dorm and, you know, I remember how it started. We started s- snorting aspirin because we thought, well, it, it'll, it'll, it'll take care of the headache faster, right? We'll get it, you know, we'll, the aspirin will jam it up and we'll snort it and whatever. And then we were like, well, we had pixie sticks because we're still 15, 16. So we started snorting pixie right. sticks and then it was snuff, uh, like uh, that black, brown tobacco we were snorting that right and it would, you know it would if you snorted your left nostril a, a tear would pour down one tear would go down oh, your right. eye and do the right nostril another tear would go down. you sit there going anyway uh and i remember my the hall monitor his name is mr holcomb he walked in and we had these fat white lines sitting on our uh uh desks uh and they were no dose and he goes, what the hell is that? And we're like, no, no. And he goes, oh, you guys. And then he walked away and we'd snort him up. And and because uh, he couldn't say no to no dose, right? Well, it's a problem. Right. So we were just starting. To, I mean, the people were, you know, whatever. And then we uh, one of the guys in my dorm was like, we should try cocaine. And I'm like, I don't know. Okay. Uh, and so we tried it at a, at a, a party. And, um, you know, it was before fentanyl. Uh, uh, and so I remember we were in like a motel, uh, and three of us were jammed into a thing. We had like a quarter gram and we were like, oh, that's the greatest. And, you know, from then on, we kind of were doing it. And, um, my, you know, the pack of friends I was with between junior, uh, uh, junior year and senior year, two out of five got kicked out. Uh, and right. one of them, you know, he and I, on the last day of school, we did we did X. No, we'd never done it before. It was still legal, uh, and he got some pills, and it was like I don't know. We heard it's good, so we're like, we'll take them. We'll go to this party. So we're we took them, and then we started packing up our rooms, and it was getting dark, and the the, the hall teacher or whatever was like, "Hey guys, just it's too late to leave. Just stay the night." And we're like, "No, no, no. We're school's <laughs> over. We're." We're gonna with cars packed up. They're like, yeah, yeah, no problem. But just you can stay the night and then you leave tomorrow. We're like, no, no, there's a party. We gotta go. <laughs> and so we just keep packing up. And he's like, you guys are going nowhere. You're staying here tonight. And I'm like, okay. I said, okay, okay. And I and I walk in and my friend uh, Dave is like, as he's as he's walking into the door, he goes, that's fucking bullshit. And the headmaster turns and looks at him and like that. And I was like what we got away with it so then i hear over the summer dave calls me he goes i get kicked they kicked me out of school and i'm like what that's unacceptable and my other friend was like they kicked me out too i'm like what so i'm like i'm i mean i'm furious right and i'm because we had our whole crew they took two guys out of the crew and i'm like so i and i find myself at school uh, like a few days later i don't know what i don't remember what i was doing 
But the headmaster was, you know, he had an office. I go up to the office and I'm like, you're making a mistake. And he goes, sit down. And I'm like, I said, you can't kick these guys out. What? They've kicked them out for what? And he goes, cocaine. And I'm like, cocaine? I said, you're out of here. We're not doing cocaine. Nobody's doing cocaine. And he goes, let me tell you something. Perception is reality. And I'm like, wow. what? You perceive people to be doing cocaine, so you kick them out? He goes, yeah. And I'm like, this is not even, it's not even true. Right. He, goes, he goes, the only reason you're not kicked out is because you're A minus average. You're working hard. You got those grades that I can't kick you out. But I'll tell you what, I'm watching you and I'm going to get you. Like that. I was like, <laughs> I was like, and, and that's the, he's telling you that they, it doesn't matter if they were doing it or not. But the perception yeah. of that group of those five guys right. was like that. That's right. And he had to, he had to pick, prune the garden. That's right. And one of them was doing it and the other one was not. He was just a bad student. He just got to see yeah. minus average and they kicked him out. He ended up going to military school and he's like, to this final day, he's like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. <laughs> and I didn't tell his parents, I'm like, he didn't. And I had to tell his I parents, hate. I didn't do it, but I did. Uh, and I I'll tell, the capper on the story is, is amazing because they would announce these uh, uh, room searches uh, at, at, at Lake Horse Academy. And what we would do now, I was like, I had a, I don't keep anything in my room. It's a one strike policy and beer, any drugs, right. any, nothing. No, no, not at all. Uh, and, but when they would, in, they would announce the search because they didn't want us to kick out. And so everybody who had beer would take it out to the woods with 250 acres of woods and they'd hide it and come back in. But then when they do the search, bring the beer back in, whatever. Uh, and so I am like in my advisor period on, Monday morning. They've done a search on Thursday or Friday. And my advisor's like, we have to go see the uh, vice principal. And I'm like, about what? And he goes, can't tell you. And I'm like, okay. So now we're walking through the, because everybody's in their advisor pair. We're walking it's, the through, wor- it's the worst feeling yeah. when you're go- when we're you're walking through the trouble, empty halls of fucking Lake Forest Academy. There's nobody in the hall because just me and him. And I'm like, what's going on? He goes, I we'll find out soon. And so we get to that vice principal's office. And at my school, when a kid's getting kicked out, they lower the shades so you can't see inside the glass, right? And I'm it's walk- like the pulp, oh, yeah. the white smoke, black smoke. That's right. I'm walking, and everybody gathers around and goes, "Who's in there? Who's in there?" And I'm right. walking in, and the secretary's lowering the shades. I'm like, what are you lowering the shades for? <laughs> I'm like, don't lower the shades. I'm also lowering the shades. I told her, I'm like, don't lower. She's like, I got to lower the shades. What'd you do? <laughs> and she said, just dude. And I sit down across from the vice principal and my, my teacher, who was my advisor, who's a close person to me and my sister. The vice principal goes, would you mind telling me what this is? And he puts down a little snow seal. You know what a snow seal is, right? Yeah. A snow seal is, well, for those of you who don't, is it, uh, we, people used to take like a little folded piece of paper. They put the cocaine in and they fold it up into like a, a little seal. So it's like about that big. And you would carry, you know, you carry it in your wallet or whatever. Oh, you I thought it? you were talking about a, a creature from the Arctic. Never mind. Go on. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I see. You're, you don't know what it is. Okay. So, um, so um, he puts a snow seal down on the table. 
And there is this Indian writing on the outside. I remember like the Indian newspaper. And I'm like, and I open it and I dip my finger in it. And he goes, don't do that. And I go, <laughs> and I said, this is Wibuthi. I said, this is Indian ash. Uh, it's sacred Indian ash. I said, where'd you get it? And he goes, it's what? And I'm like, where'd you get it? And he goes, well, we, we, there was a picture on your desk and we took it apart. I'm like, oh, that picture of the Indian God my grandmother gave me when I was born, took it apart. <laughs> and he had it. And it was like, they'd taken it apart. And this Wibuthi had been in there since the, it's an Indian ash, right? It's like sacred. And it would have been in there since I was born. It had never been opened, this thing, since I got it. And, and, and he goes, Wait, you're, you're not bullshitting? No, no. It's you, I thought you did. Yes. And I'm like, and he goes, oh, we're sending it to a lab. I said, great. Send it to a lab. Excited. And he goes, he goes, you're kicked out until you're on suspension until the lab results come back. And the teacher goes, you're going to violate his uh, legal rights over while well, we don't have proof that he's even committed anything and the guy goes well hold right. on a second here and <laughs> and then and so that i'm like i said okay so i guess i mean he goes okay i guess okay i guess you can stay but you're you're going down when we get the lab when we get the route lab results you go down i'm like fantastic i said i can't wait for the fucking results and i swear because i'm like i got this motherfucker so then we're walking out me and the teacher and i'm like raise the shades like i am so cocky <laughs> i am so cocky and i come out there like there's 50 people waiting and i'm like no problem we're good well, booty it yeah. was the booty because yeah. you're supposed to be ex escorted off the fucking premises and everyone's like where are you going i'm right. like i'm going to class and they're like what the hell <laughs> and so then my parents get a call a few days later and they're like we would like to apologize uh, for uh, how we treated your son. We know there's a religious issue around this. And they sent a letter wow. of apology. And my mom was like, yeah, you got I mean, she didn't know. She didn't know. But she's like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like there she was a little it. bit of getting. She a loved little it. bit of getting Al Capone on tax evasion. That's she right. Knew, That's she right. Something was she like. loved it. And from then on, it was it was senior spring. I was untouchable. Like I would like I would leave campus in my car and with my buddies like, you know, we would we would sneak off campus and I would drive my car off. All my friends would be in the backseat with coats over them, pretending like they're just right. me in the car. And nobody did a like, fucking thing. Nothing. They're like, he's just let him just get him out of here. Just get him. Right. <laughs> it, it's Wabooty? Is that w the actual? And it's Wabooty. Wabooty. And yeah. it looks like it's a powdered, it's, like white. It's, it's basically like, uh, I don't know how they create the ash, but it's some, you know, it's literally like, it's literally white ash. And it tastes so they must a have been certain looking way. For, some, for them to... For them to look for that in your room, I mean, well, I they mean, were coming after real, you because of your buddy. Thorough search. I mean, of course, I didn't have anything, right? They, were, they weren't going to find anything. That's right. why when they found that, I'm like, you're fucked. <laughs> you didn't get me. Right. 
No, that was the amazing thing about me getting kicked out of college is in, in prep school, I had done everything to get kicked out and it was a much stricter environment. Closer proximity, the stakes are higher, you're there all the time, yeah. you literally don't leave. And I was unscathed. And then you go into a more consequence-free environment and that's yeah. when you get the cuffs put on you. Yeah, does it, right. It doesn't make sense. Uh, well, uh, I was... Go no, on. I was going to say, what do you think of the Bears this weekend? I, I'll, I'll, I don't want to talk about the Bears because they're so horrible, but I will talk about them. But just one more on the on the high school drug story. The first time and being judged, uh, there was a uh, two guys I was in uh, school with, and this is like you know, fifteen years old. And one of these guys was a like was all the persona of a stoner before he had even touched marijuana. If that he like, yeah. like just kind of yeah man like yeah. long hair like I got this like and so the teachers were after him right. to the nth degree and it ended up being like a self fulfilling prophecy because he became a huge stoner right but the first time I'd ever bought weed was with him and another buddy in Boston we were off campus for the weekend and we were teenagers and we went to an area of Boston where you could buy it. And um, it was me, Morgan, my buddy Tex, and uh, we were like, who's going to do this transaction? Like, who knows how to speak this language? And and Morgan's like, I, I got this, guys. I know yeah. how to do it. Just just relax. And we're like, all right, Morgan's got it, clearly. Yeah. you know. So, we go up to this guy and he has, um, they just have nuggets. They're selling it in like kind of fistfuls, marijuana yeah. uh, buds. And the guy comes up and he's like, what do you guys need? And uh, Morgan goes, I'm about to answer. Morgan shoots me a look. Then Tex is about to answer. He shoots Tex a look like I'm the guy to do it. Well, what? And he goes, what do you got? The guy goes, he pulls out these three buds and he goes, I got uh, three for 30. And Morgan goes, how about two for 25? <laughs> 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 you fucking idiot. <laughs> that was the first time we got it. That's so funny. Uh, uh, the Bears. What do I think of the Bears? I think uh I think it's hard to raise your children Bears fans. <laughs> well, just to be sort of uh just to give the audience who doesn't watch the Bears context, they they had a 12-point lead with five minutes to go. Uh, according to the computer, they had a 92.4% chance of winning at that point. <laughs> um, and, you know, this is a team that is rebuilding. And uh, in my view, since they added Vontez Sweat, uh, the defensive end, that defense has made a big jump. Like, they're actually... They're actually the number two run defense in, in football after the Eats. Like, they're a legit... They're To me, they're starting to look like something. And that we put the beating down on Detroit that whole fucking game, except for the last five minutes, should mean something. Like, I think they're on the road to something. And as, a, as somebody in entertainment, I'm always reluctant to criticize other people in entertainment. And I consider football players to be an entertainer, right? So, I, you know, at the end of that game, I'm like, fire the coach. And I said that to myself, and I said that to my uh, brother-in-law, who's a Bears fan, could he agree? But I mean, you know, it, the reason is because the, the what they went for 
when they had the ball, is they went two runs right up the gut, the whole team that's is there, and then they threw a bomb, which is like 40 yards. And you're like, uh, to me, you know, obviously I'm not I'm not a football coach, but I felt like I could have coached it a little different. Like a little screen pass or a look around to the outside, Fields had 100 yards. I mean, there might be some way yeah. to move the chase. Just one or two uh, first downs would have been the game. Um, uh, and and I know, I, 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 it's, I, you know, it's hard, but I, I think they're on the road to something great. I do too. And it's what I get frustrated talking to other Bears fans because you, you can't be playing BBD, bigger, bigger, better deal at the position of quarterback when you just staked your franchise on Justin Fields that he is exceptional and he's amazing. He set like the, he set the, 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 not even just for an early uh, stage player, he set the rushing record for a quarterback in NFL history, ran the most yards like two years ago or last yeah. season. Second. Second. And then he came back. Second, yeah, he didn't play in the last game, so he would have broken. He was second to the uh, Baltimore guy. To the Baltimore guy, to yeah, yeah, who? It's the biggest. You know, we talked about this earlier. It's yeah. the biggest. Uh, the NFL, you know, the field's a hundred years, a uh, hundred yards long. The guys are six five. They can. There, there's just so few places you can put the ball. Yeah, to make a pass, and they're fast. That you need a quarterback who can run in into today's game and I think yeah. Fields is that and the, the the conversation that's really frustrating for me lately this season especially is the kid coming out of USC Caleb is it Williams the, yeah. the USC yeah everyone's like yeah let's just sell the farm and and pick him and no you're just gonna start over again no. we already started over just no. build around this guy and and let him carry the torch a little he longer. is uh gonna be I think he's gonna be fucking great uh, and I already think he's great. pretty goddamn good. So I'm not, you know, I don't think they should. I mean, look, I don't think they should fire Ebert Flus, even though the record isn't great. But I mean, the record isn't great because the players weren't great, but they're getting better. I don't know. I, I, to me, I hope they have to go on a little run. And uh, I'd like to stay with this coach, uh, maybe get a new defensive coordinator because maybe you should have one. Uh, but uh, I. <laughs> You know, even though the defense is good, I mean, I, I, I think, uh, and we got great draft picks coming up, and we got a lot of money in free agency available. Uh, I, I think there's great things a- ahead. It is dark yeah. as it, as dark as it was, as dark, as it, but as dark as it yeah, was, it I, wasn't as bad as losing Aaron Rodgers 55 times in the last minute, like we always do. That was dark, and we had a great defense when that was happening too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I I was watching the Chiefs Eagles game the other uh, last night, and so many guys were making plays. I mean, those are two great teams, probably yeah. two of the best teams, and and for the last couple of years, and probably for the next couple of years, those are like two yeah. stalwart, incredible teams. And they're like, when you realize that individual guys making big plays in those games, that's a real team. Like they're doing it with each other, and what yeah. happens is they become stars. And then they end up signing free agent contracts and leaving and going to another team, but they don't have that same chutzpah again in their career because what it is, is a, it's a moment in time when a bunch of guys are playing great together. Yeah. There's a core group and you build around that. So to your point, the Bears have a good core and I think they should keep building around that core and not throw everything away. Yeah. Yet. At least for another. Yeah. I think the GM is good. The, the GM season. pulls is, you know, he's proven, he's proven to be pretty goddamn yeah. good. And he, 
he got sweat and then he signed him to a four-year deal. I mean, you know, this is great news. You do it in, in, in pieces, you know, you figure out yeah. what's working and then you build around it. Uh, that, you know, because we kind of talked about we we're going to ask each other questions today. I wanted to ask you based uh, coming off that story, it doesn't have to be bears, but what's your greatest sports memory? One that you've witnessed oh, in one person? That I witnessed. Uh, without a doubt. And I don't have all the details to it, uh, but it was Jim McMahon was um, injured uh, on Monday Night Football against the Vikings. And he was hounding Mike Ditka to let him go, to let him get in the game. And the Bears were down, might have been 12 or 14 or 16, whatever. They were down. And he's, you could see him playing the sidelines, just hounding Mike Ditka. And uh, and I'm not sure if this is the same game, but he, they gave him a pain shot in public on the cameras. Yeah, uh, right. And and then he, he gets in the game. And on the first play, he throws uh, a, a bomb to Willie Galt and boom, it's seven points. And it was, the, to me, it was the most incredible, the greatest, and the Bears won the game. They came back and they scored 16 points and won the game against Minnesota in a game that was certainly lost. Um, I mean, he did to, uh, we did to that, to Minnesota, what, what, uh, Stafford, not Stafford, who's the, uh, Goff just did to us. Just came in and right. just ate us up in an impossible game. We're never going to win. They were never going to win. Detroit was never going to win. Uh, and the Bears won that. And, and what it said to me was this guy believes he can do anything. And, right. He can seemingly do anything. And it gave me, um, as like a 16-year-old or whatever it was, 15-year-old, immense confidence in myself. I was like, he can do anything. He's part of me. I'm the Chicago Bears with them. I can do anything. And then when Michael Jordan came to town and rolled through, I'm like, I can do anything. Yeah, it because checks of Michael out. Jordan. I mean, <laughs> right. you know, I would I would say all sorts of outlandish shit to Kevin Hefferin uh, about because he was a Knicks fan, and I would make outlandish bets. And every fucking game, Michael Jordan would fucking cash that check. And, yeah, and I'm like, I'm a winner. I guess I'm a winner. It, uh, it, it just tell, it helped the shit talking game so much in school growing up yeah. with that team. Uh, and, and my but, favorite, I mean, I'm sort of sloshed together two things but when the bulls were going for that sixth ring i used to i was so cocky to heffernan i'm like i said you know for michael and scotty this campaign for the sixth ring it's one for the dick uh uh I said, <laughs> they have no more room they've got no more room and uh, <laughs> <laughs> That was the, it was the second Utah win, right? Yeah, that's right. They, yeah. they beat Utah oh, no. in six games uh, 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 in uh, 98. Uh, All of those Bulls memories, I got to go to some of those games. What right up there at the top for me, the greatest sports I've witnessed. But I did get to go to a Super Bowl um, right after I had gotten kicked out of school, I happened to be in California that year uh, when the Super Bowl was in San Diego, and it was the Super Bowl that John Elway won uh, with the Broncos. Yeah, so it was like that Sweet. late stage. Yeah, and they were playing the Packers. Yes, and it uh, so it was like two of the greatest, and yeah. I was at the game. 
And Elway, there was a famous uh, run that took place because he was old and his knees didn't work, but he could still, you know, manage the game. He was a game yeah. manager, much like Peyton Manning was when he beat the Bears in yeah. that uh, the early aught Super Bowl we went to. Yeah. And I saw him that play. Uh, it was like third down and six yards and Elway ran it and he dove and it's the one where he spun yeah. in the air yeah. like yeah. full he got like, hit mm, in yeah. his leg and he did a full yeah. helicopter that's yeah, that was uh seeing one of the greatest quarterbacks play in the Super Bowl and not be able to run and pick up the first down while spinning through the air that's one but of the for me that one was of the, the highlights one. of the NFL that that spinning shot it's like yeah. one of the most famous it was just the way he, he wasn't athletic enough to like ball himself up or make it uh -huh. look cool he was just <laughs> diving <laughs> and he was parallel to the ground and he got uh, hit uh, <laughs> he, he twirled around that's awesome that was against Sparf, right yeah it was against Sparf. that's sweet that's sweet cool you know as a bears fan for me the two they were both very difficult quarterbacks to root against Favre and then rogers yeah. I, I felt because I, I loved the way that I loved both the way those Favre guys played, played, and I loved uh, his Mississippi kind of the way he spoke. He was from yeah. Mississippi, right? Or yeah, Louisiana the swagger of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the guy was incredible. The guy was incredible, and uh, and it was painful. I don't want to discount the pain. It was a lot of pain, but he wasn't hated in Chicago because he was sort of like us. Uh, and uh, Rogers. You know, look, Riders owns Chicago in the same way. And he was, you know, he was not as beloved in Chicago by a long shot. And part of it has to do with he's from California. And, you know, we were like, fuck uh, Yeah. And uh, in general, though, it's hard in general to root again. Listen, I, you know, the Bears Packers rivalry is one of the oldest in sports. It's been It's Vince Lombardi and George Hallis. It's all of the people yeah. who founded the not just the sports as owners yeah. but they came up with the offenses there's a lineage to the game like yeah. certain formations and stuff like you coach under that guy so you learn that that's why you run this yeah. offense you're right. part of this lineage but for me it's really hard to root against the small market team especially green bay because there's no reason in the world why they should even have a professional franchise no, it's be true. With the economics of it it's true and they're such underdogs and it means so much to those fans. And you look at, I mean, LA having two teams in a $4 billion stadium, like, okay, yeah, I get it. But like Green Bay or Buffalo, like, that's a fun team to root for. Cause I, I agree. Yeah, you're back against them all. I like, agree. I agree. But I, I still, even though if I met, <laughs> if I met Rogers, I'm sure we'd be friends. I cannot bring myself to say that I like Aaron Rodgers at all. <laughs> and I and I and I say this because this actually happened to me once. Uh, I went to uh, Eric Solhansky's wedding, his second wedding in Minneapolis, um, uh, and it was in the middle of like November, and the Vikings had just just eaten chicago alive and it was because we just couldn't block jared allen he just was like it was in the season that i think he either tied the record or came a half a half a sack short of it um and so he had, they just played monday night football and they just fucking he just destroyed us 
And, you know, I don't know if you remember, but there was a while in Chicago at that moment where we're like, fucking hate Jared Allen. Of how fucking Jared Allen, fucking asshole, fucking ruining our fucking game. And so I show up at this wedding on a Friday and I'm like, go to this party and there's fucking Jared Allen. I'm like, Jared. And he looks at me, he goes, dude, what's up? Like that. And I'm like, how are you? And uh, immediately we became, we became cooked. Buddies, like we're we're actually really we're friends, we're legitimate friends. You know, I call them up, we do you know, and I'm like, it's just a good example of like all this. Like, it made me stop being so vicious about football players and baseball players and all that stuff. So I'm like, they're just they're just guys like us. They're just trying. Yeah. They're just doing their best. They're just super talented. So they blew up the Bears. Okay, well that's the way it goes. Uh, we've done it to other teams too. So I, 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 and it changed my view of the way I talk about Rodgers. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to beat him while he was in Green Bay. Uh, once he left, I'm like, he left owning us and we'll never beat him because we never beat him with the Green Bay Packer uniform. And I'm like, maybe we'll beat right. him with the Jets, but we probably won't. We probably it's not won't. the same. Yeah, it's not the same. But we probably won't beat him with the Jets either because it's just, I mean, scheduling and blah, blah, right? But I mean, that guy, yeah. you know, it's like a hollow part of my heart that will never get him. Will never, will never get him. He escaped unscathed. I, I like, I just, I don't even the stuff that he, he says now, people think he's really controversial. I just think if you're a professional athlete, that the stuff with, uh, that Actually, he, it's, like Merck, the vaccines, he got so crucified on that that issue. It's like these guys are, you know, they, all they think about is health and what they put in their body yeah. and 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 the output input. And you know, he just didn't want to put something into his system that could have messed up years of work. And he was treated as if he was a villain as a result of it. It was hard. I think it was more courageous for him to do what he did than it was villainous. I guess. I have you and I have spoken about this off camera, uh, and we have. I mean, I, I understand that you're vaccinated, and and your kids are vaccinated. So, uh, but you know, look, I, I'll, I'll tell you this: I'm a child of of Indian doctors, and my uncle would come over for Thanksgiving dinner, and he'd like, "You come here, come here, come here," and he'd take out of his his, his black bag and he'd just go quick. You give me the other shoulder. Snort the Quing. snort this. I thought it was the he, he would just crank me up with the vaccines. He goes to my sister, you come here, come here, come here. And he fucking just yeah. and, and we're like, what is it? He goes, Don't worry about it. Just get you now you can go to school. Uh, and so it's always been my attitude, which is that I let you know, like I, I could have been a doctor had I not been such a drunk. Uh, but I couldn't wake up at eight AM and go to the organic chemistry class. So I just sort of went once once every now. Yeah. Got a C minus, got scrubbed out. But I, I have such a reverence for scientists and doctors that I'm like, you guys do the science, I'll do some of the comedy, and you guys can laugh at what I do. And when you do the science, just tell right. me, just stick it in my fucking arm. Can we just be done with it? And the, the right. reality of vaccines is that if we don't all do them, theoretically, it's not going to work. So when Aaron Rodgers did that, I was like, shut the fuck up and take the shot. Uh, and 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 I get it. I get it. I know his body, his choice. Um, but but <laughs> but but I would say that um, he was a little. He was not a little misleading. He was misleading about having been vaccinated. So, so he should I just say that, I didn't get vaccinated. 
Well, I, I would well, I would attribute that more as a positive because at that time when he said when he didn't take the vaccine and he was misleading, he could have blown it up right there and and gotten on the bully pulpit and said, I'm not taking the shot, you know, I don't care. He could have done that there. But he just said I've been uh protected or he had some, you know, way around it. <laughs> so I think it was right. actually in service to how he handled it. He didn't like start proselytizing about the vaccines at that point before we knew what we know now about them. Um, I mean, just terms of like, we now know more things. I'm not saying they're all negative, but they weren't the the silver bullet that they were being portrayed at that time were, were going to be. And he was like, I'm not going to take the air out of everyone, but I'm not doing it for me. And he stayed quiet. And then when they started coming at him with the arrows, now he's much yeah. more vocal as are many more people about it. So, yeah. you know, that's to me makes him more of a leader than somebody who um, was just being petulant and didn't want to do it. Like Djokovic didn't want to take the vaccine before the US Open. He was on the heels. I think at the time he was tied for most Grand Slam titles in history mm -hmm. or he was like one behind. Yeah. He missed the US Open as a result of not yeah. taking that vaccine. <laughs> Which I thought was wasn't even a madness. It's right, but I've taken he's won. Look it, at me, I'm good. Right, but he's won a couple since then, so it took away that crucial True. argument. But there's a case where if he didn't play in that U.S. Open and let's say he blew out his ACL on the treadmill the next day, that they would have been robbing him of that opportunity to, you know, transcend tennis. It, it just telling an athlete what to put in there. You know, there's there's rules of like the steroid issues and things like that, but imposing something on someone at that, 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 on anyone, but especially the elite athlete who's in the spotlight, I just, uh, more on the side of human, uh, choice for, I hear for those you. guys to do it. I wouldn't. I hear you. I just fully disagree. Like I, I, I get it, but I, you know, I, I guess I'll say this and it's back to what I said before, which is that I've known a lot of athletes and, and, and in fact, Ryan Leaf is one of the, and you, you guys are smart, you're smart people. But I don't want to take um, medical advice from charismatic uh, football players uh, and tennis players. Like, I, I understand they, they're good at yeah, like, well, they're they, not they giving the right advice, smoothies right? and they take good stretching and that I'd listen to, you know, but, but when it comes to, you know, the efficacy of a fucking vaccine, I'm like, I'll just talk to the doctor. That's all. Right. That's all. Right. Well, Ryan's case was different. Uh, I mean, because there's two separate things. I mean, the, the pharmaceutical industry pretty much injected opioids into our entire country. And then 10 years later, everyone's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now everyone's addicted to heroin. We got to pull back. We got to pull back. What do you mean? You gave me a tennis ball can of pills. Right. It's a good example last of, office of, visit. of like, so, the medical establishment not having our best interests at heart. It's a great example. Like recently, like yeah. recently before, right. like I'm not even talking lobotomies. Yeah. We, we can go back. <laughs> this is like just <laughs> happened in the last 10 well, years. Like, true. But think of all the great things that medicine has also done for us. I mean, well, it's not, it's not as, yeah, it's not black or white like each right. issue is totally different yes. right like and so i would i would think that someone would have a choice I, i'm not going to knock rogers i am 
curious to see if you come. By the way, I love that we had that whole conversation without any statistics. <laughs> we, we're good. We don't need the science to go into don't it. We're just bullshitting on the vaccine. <laughs> don't come to comedians asking for vaccine advice. We don't know That's anything. Right. Like just, I mean, so, all these guys with podcasts are like, oh, I'm what I think. And I'm like, who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck? You're not a doctor. You're not part of this. No. It's true. No. I don't give a it's fuck. It's true. It's like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't go to my, like, you know, kid and ask him, hey, can you build me a telescope? Like, he doesn't fucking know how. You guys are fucking No. Uh, that actually dovetails into a question I wanted to ask you uh, randomly, but now it's it's right on point. What's the biggest health improvement you've made in your lives? Well, uh, I'm always reluctant. Getting to the vaccine. I'm, book, yeah, dude. <laughs> Getting the I, vaccine and not playing in the U.S. Open. I'm going to get the, I'm going to go get the next COVID vaccine today. I mean, I'm getting it. I'm fucking getting it. You know why? Because I'm stubborn like that. I'm like, fuck you. I'm going to get the vaccine and I hope all you motherfuckers die of COVID. I hope you're all dead and it's just me with my vaccine left over. That's how I feel. (laughs) (laughs) The greatest. Okay. I have a couple. like, Jay, you were just in here last week. The vaccine doesn't work like that. You're like, no, again, again. (laughs) Give it to me again. I want a six shot. And give me a big big button that Mm -hmm. said I'm vaccinated. Uh, That's right. That's right. I, uh, uh, I wore one of the I wore one of those after the first time I got vaccinated, and I, I posted it on Twitter, and someone wrote, "Who gives a fuck?" And I'm like, "Whoa, uh, you're right, you're right, you're totally right. I, you're right. Who gives a fuck? You're right, you're right. I don't give a fuck. I hope you die of fucking COVID." Um, I didn't type that, but I thought that uh, the greatest right. health thing. I'm always a little reluctant to talk about health because I'm from Chicago, and I like Chicago people to think of me. Is one of them, and health in Chicago. Well, we don't. We don't think. We don't think of our health. No, no. I think if you we think, like, you think, oh, this fucking fruitcake moved out to California. He's all under health now. And uh, yeah. but I'm going to tell you anyway because yes, and uh, you know you're from Chicago, so you get it. But uh, yeah, I mean, can can you really say a place that eats you eats that much beef and puts uh blue cheese into Sausage. olives and martinis uh at gibson's yes. do you really give a fuck about health i mean come on come on this is like, on the on the whole i think yeah yeah right we were we were fat eat. city usa multiple years in a row until houston took the record from us houston's now fat city usa but we were we were right there now you know, like well, oh, is that not, like a pound for pound per capita? I don't know. They weight? fucking <laughs> gave a trophy out for it. But I, you know, and I, I, but I'll admit it. I'm not much healthier. I'll tell you my health advances. I started at one point taking a. Um, I had asthma, and I what they figured out is in my case, if you controlled stomach acid, the asthma disappeared, and that's what they fucking the scientists fucking figured it out. Stomach acid was Wait. triggering my asthma. And so they control the stomach acids, and then the asthma basically disappeared. I bear, I mean, I carry an inhaler around, but I don't use it. I use it once every five. Where well, they months. control the stomach acid? That's like gut health, right? So they like you take yeah. like tums or something if you're having an asthma yeah, attack. Yeah, it's like Nexium. You take it prophylactically yeah. uh-huh. in advance, and then eventually. Now I don't really have asthma. Um, and the other thing is, uh, I started intermittent fasting because I'm 
the Indians yeah. are generally more likely to get diabetes, type two diabetes. Uh, I guess because of their diet, or I don't know what. My dad had it, has it, uh, and he's like, you know, if you don't control your weight, you're going to get it. And so I um, started intermittent fasting, which is basically I eat at uh, see, I'll, Chicago's like fuck this guy. Uh, I, I eat at uh, noon, uh, which is right now. I can't wait to go down and eat, uh, and um, and then I'll eat at eight o'clock at night, and then I don't eat again until noon. So it's sixteen hours off. And right, that, that's like you're calling that fasting. That's just skipping a meal. No, dude. that's what it's called. That's the <laughs> fucking definition. It's a sixteen-hour inner. It's that's, a sixteen-hour fast. That's fasting. You're eating. You're eating three out of four meals, and you're calling that fasting. Two meals. I'm eating two meals. Two meals. Now, you're when it does, lunch, dinner, and then you're skipping breakfast and eating lunch again. That's right. So intermittent fasting is like sunrise to sunset maybe a couple days of, of water like just no 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 that, no, that's, no that's an intermittent that's just fast intermittent fasting yeah. is something you do every day and what happens is at a certain point around hour 12 13 14 15 whatever it is your body needs energy and it doesn't have uh like sugar from the meal and so it eats your fat storages uh, right. To me, intermittent fasting, I can turn my weight up and down like a fucking knob. I can just, no right. problem. No problem. Um, and that to me has made me uh, healthier. I, maybe. I mean, maybe I'll uh, still die early. No, I, I, that's, a, that's a big one. I would, the thing that I, I guess I do that kind of naturally just based on what's happening. If I'm not starving, I'm not going to eat. Like I like to eat when I'm hungry and then I'll, you know, then it doesn't matter what you eat. Just eat when you're hungry. You can eat right, anything. Psychologically, you, know, you want a little something in the morning or three square meals and all that stuff. And I'm not saying you should do it. I don't, I don't care if you do it. Yeah. I'm just saying I do. Whatever. Right. And I think it is, it, it's, you're, I guess you're supposed to even do it longer than that to really have, uh, you, you can shock your body if you go a day, two days. Without you, you can, without but eating. at some point you, you want to keep healthy. <laughs> you know, you don't yeah. want to put stress. Uh, the weight, the weight thing to me was always. I talked to trainers and stuff about. It. It's always just like uh, what you put in, calories in, calories out. Yeah, it's like you could you could think of all this other stuff about diet and when you eat or anything. It's just like if you put in a lot, you got to burn that much more. Yeah, it's just like the, the easiest thing. I started. Uh, lifting heavy weights again after no. not doing it for yeah. a long time then i that was probably the biggest health change i've made recently it makes me i burn more cow i don't have to mm -hmm. like go on a treadmill to to burn off stuff i just like bench press and well, squat and deadlift and who, who, yeah who, it's who, a little uh, spots you ali <laughs> <laughs> His, uh, Hayes's, wife is, Hayes, Hayes's wife is Allie Larder, the, the famous actress. So I can go in. Uh, she's usually not around, but I don't know if she could spot me doing No, just the guy next to you at the gym. Just oh, go, the I gym. go to like, okay. I started going to a, uh, not one of those health clubs that they have a smoothie bar or any of those places. Like just like a fucking gym mm -hmm. where like the equipment's old and people are in there still with weight belts and there's chalk. Nice. Yeah, like those are places I yeah, like nice. to go work out and lift and throw your headphones on and just throw around metal. And it's so like, it's not a practice like yoga or Pilates. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. just like a, you know, 
it's just kind of old school and but you just feel i know i have relatives uh my stepfather in particular he's in his 80s he still lifts weights and mm-hmm. it's it's served him great because bill? it's the muscular scale yeah bill yeah he'll like and that's how he keeps you know the cardio not as much but he keeps his the skeletal muscular stuff you burn more calories and you keep everything intact like ligaments don't pop out he was in, he was stuff in like shape that because back, you're, he was you're working in shape when i first met him back in like 1984 yeah it's always been his uh his thing the health and and lifting um, in particular so we should get onto the vouch because i think we're running when we, we, okay. we're like a couple uh, yentas. I still have so many questions. We'll have to do right. it another time. Uh, so all I'm right, going to vouch right. first. So uh, we're, I have an app called Vouch Vault. Uh, you, you, you post your favorite stuff in the world, music, television, books. Today, my vouch is for Arnold's new book, Be Useful. What is it? Seven Tools, Seven Tools for Life. Uh, and I, what I like about this photo is, you ever see the Fantastic Mr. Fox? Sure. You remember the favorites. whiskers and all the detail of his whiskers? I feel like these whiskers are really like detailed. Um, yep. And I think that uh, he also- Dude, it's cool. You're attracted to Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's I not the first so. person. Did, yeah. yeah. I like his whiskers. And he did, he did, um, he <laughs> did probably about- a hundred photos, I bet. A bunch of them probably smiling. And he goes, that one. That's no the one. smiling. Yeah. I like that. I think that's a gutsy move yeah. on, a, on, a, on the front of a book. Most people on the front of the book are like this. But not Arnold. Do you... Uh, and how's the advice in the book? Have you gotten into it? It's Yeah. It's, uh, it's great because you read it in his voice, you know? And he's just uh, like he's, uh, you got to be useful. You wake yeah. up in the morning, you make it bad. You go out there. After you I left the government office in 2011, my world came crashing down around me. And you're like, <laughs> "Fuck yeah, dude!" Gosh, you fuck, I'm in. He's awesome. Do I you, love it. Do you think uh, he's incredible? Do you think if if there was a clause in the Constitution that didn't <laughs> say you had to be born in the United States to be president? So he's president. Do you think there would be more or less wars right now? Let's say he's currently well, in office. I, I think as much as we kind of knock him for being a bodybuilder and an actor and whatever, I think he's a man of great wisdom. Uh, and I think, sure, he doesn't know all the details of everything, but who does? Like, there's some real heavy policy wonks in DC who could who could advise him on that. But he's he's a legit leader in my view, and would be a great president you know we're not in any wars now the u.s no but right well do you think globally there would be more or less i mean i think there is a version where he he would have stepped right into that role after being governor and he could even do it now but there's that little law i would prefer constitution him because i mean look i know he's a republican but like I like the Republicans when they're when they're anti-Russia, and I know you dated a Russian, I like it. But uh, I, I, I don't, you know, uh, be real honest with you. I'm still stuck in the anti-Russian mentality, and I and I I don't want to leave it, and I won't leave. Yeah, uh, and I and I want this country to be like unified against our common enemy, which is Russia. So I'll tell you that. So I think he yeah. would have been a great guy to say, look, I mean, Biden is definitely anti-Russian because he's fucking, you know. 
how could you not be? I, I'd be embarrassed to be pro-Russian. I'd be embarrassed. Uh, did I tell you that? So my grandfather, my dad's dad was a tail gunner in a B-24 bomber. And uh, those are the planes like uh, Memphis Bell, that movie yeah. that they would, it was our main way of attacking. You know, you'd carpet bomb, you'd go over with a fleet, you'd fly in a formation and you'd just drop a bunch of bombs and yeah, yeah. you have to get low to drop them if you wanted them to land where you wanted them to land. I see. High risk. And he got, he got shot down um, over uh, Germany or over Italy, but it was under German control. Uh, the Luftwaffe was the, the, a specific wing of the German Nazi military. I, and I he, didn't like the Nazis at all, but I love that name, Luftwaffe. Luftwaffe. It's yeah. It sounds it's it, it sounds like a, a meal, like a dish you right. would order or something. Like, uh, like something, I'll have the Luftwaffe. Yeah, something like a like with a wafer crust over something. You know, <laughs> yeah, it like you'd have it like at a coffee shop. The most villainous fighting army that's right. that we've ever faced. <laughs> so he got shot down, um, and. Uh, he realized after the war that usually the main target that when you're trying to take down a B-24 is you shoot the tail gunner so you can come up behind the plane and shoot the plane down. Oh. Uh, but they he, they got cl clipped on the wing. He had to eject. He pulls the chute. He free falls much longer than you're normally supposed to before he pulls the chute because uh, you're taught when you're shot, your plane shot down in a dogfight that you want to get through the fighting. You don't want to be dangling in the middle of a dogfight where right. bullets are shooting everywhere. Right. You want to get low enough and then pull the chute so you're clear. I mean, all these stories are crazy. Yeah. And he pulled his chute low to the ground, busted both of his eardrums, landed at, uh, next to a little village. Um, and they gave a lot of the uh, servicemen in World War II horse pills, like honestly the size of like a golf ball. And- they were taught to swap when you landed you were supposed to immediately go into your vest and take this pill so you could run as far away from where you landed as possible because you know when people were coming out of the sky they could the germans could see where you landed then yeah. they'd go and capture you so the united states military gave these guys these horse pills and what you realize is they gave them amphetamines essentially <laughs> so you wouldn't sleep for 48 hours you <laughs> would just be getting as far away from right. where you fell as possible so he he gets shot down he takes the the horse pill and he runs for two straight days and he ends up hiding in a haystack and then he ends up getting captured the point of my story is to oh, get back to the russians i was hoping there might he be was like an italian daughter in the farm <laughs> god god a, 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 18 year old virgin took him in <laughs> the haystack and that's I mean, my grandmother no one could help no no he went to a nazi prison camp and uh he was there and he's there for 13 months and the germans are um they're at the mess hall and he gets in an argument with a chef uh no, i call him a chef but the guy putting slop on his plate because the guy who's putting slop on his plate says uh, let me see if I can do a German accent. You guys should not be fighting us. We are more like you. You should be fighting the Russians. They are the enemies. They are the real enemies. And he was like, fuck you. And the guy put the fork, the chef put the fork right in his hand, just Ooh. stabbed his hand onto the table with the thing. But he still told that story because, you know, I was probably talking to him about this when I was, you know, 10 or 11. He was saying, you know, 
the Russians are the enemies. It was also like during the Cold War. But yeah. It was like reiterating, don't lose track of the narrative that they, even though we fought on the same side and yeah. in uh, World War II, they, they're the bad guys. Yeah. And then it all went away for a long time and we started giving them pipelines and shit. And guess what? They're still, they were still the enemy. Yes, right. They just That's right. That's right. Uh, so I think, well, to answer my own question, if Arnold was president, I think probably maybe less wars. I think Putin probably watched a lot of movies and as a master of propaganda would think that Arnold has maybe the upper hand and would not go to war with him. Uh, I vouch for, I'm going to change my vouch because I just saw uh, uh, the the documentary Sly with Sylvester Stallone. Mm -hmm. Um, well, and it was yes, right. To, to, I think I mentioned it yeah. before. I don't know if it was my vouch. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I'm vouching for it because it's also incredible and goes back through a career, much like the one Arnold had. But the movie Sly is um, he walks through every every movie because he created the franchises. He wrote a lot of his stuff, but, uh, and he's also very different from Arnold because. Sylvester Stallone was an action hero, but he was like super emotional. Yeah. Like, like he right. fucking, like Rocky was always crying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like Ro Rocky was like a character, but the first movie Rocky is like, uh, it's like an independent film, you yeah. know, with not a lot of action, not a lot of boxing. And even in Rocky four, when everything's so amped up, he's in the ring and he's bawling and he's, and, and, and Rambo, he talked about, in the documentary, Rambo was another character study about a Vietnam vet coming back into society and society is not accepting him. America is not at that point. And he's like a stone cold killer. And the first version of Rambo that Sylvester Stallone read, the guy was just a killing machine and a badass. And Stallone in the documentary talks about, he's like, no, I want this guy to be uh, not talk one, except for this one giant monologue that he uh, drops it where he's like it's like a three-page monologue to yeah. Trop, Colonel Trobman and he's like you don't understand the guys they all died Colonel yeah. they all died like he gives like yeah. one speech and then yeah. he doesn't talk so Sly was uh they they both kind of needed each other like any you know uh, thing that happens two great sports teams come at the same time they need each other they're competing against each other Sly talks about the rivalry with Arnold but they're completely different performers and actors. Like, I don't think Sylvester Stallone could be a, a politician that we would be talking about being the president of the United States. But I did think after watching the documentary that he was doesn't get enough credit for being an actor, not just an action star. So I, uh, I vouch for that. Do you know where you can see it? Uh, Sly is on Netflix. Netflix. I'll watch it. You know, the great, the great, to me, the greatest line in a movie ever was in Rambo uh, and it was Richard Crenna's line and basically he tries to convince Richard Crenna's the the colonel uh, yeah uh, he tries to convince Brian Dennehy to just put the guns down and let him walk out of there let him get out of that woods just let him go and Dennehy's like you out of your mind I got 75 guys out there with guns. We're just going to let him go. And, and Krenna's like, and Denny's walking away and he goes, if you're going to go through with this, uh, don't, you're going to need one thing. And Denny goes, what's that? He goes, a good supply of body bags. 
And you're like, oh, this dude. It <laughs> <So, yeah. laughs> was so good. The best. Uh, all right, Ace. That was a good one. I enjoyed it. That was great, Jay. All right. That's it. All right. Thanks, guys. Mustache Tales.